This is episode 178 with Masters All-American Sprinter, former professional stand-up comic, and the CEO of minimalist shoe company Zero Shoes, Mr. Stephen Sashin. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features the CEO and co-founder of Zero Shoes, Stephen Sashin. We're going deep into the shoe industry to talk about what running shoes do to your form and mechanics, the benefits and promises of minimalist shoes, and whether they're right for you. But before we start, I want to make sure we're all in the right corral here. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists who can help you elevate your performance. While you have to do the work, my goal is to show you the most strategic ways to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to new heights. Because when we better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running, fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss our other resources that can help you bring your running to the next level. We have a video channel at youtube.com strengthrunning, where I answer your questions, show you effective strength and core routines, and talk through your most pressing training issues. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Our sponsor for today is SteadyMD, a concierge healthcare service that gives you a primary care doctor that's always available 24-7, with no copays, no wait times, and no commuting. Plus, you'll likely get a doctor who's also a runner, so they'll understand your training, your injuries, and your need for a specialist every once in a while. Go to steadymd.com strengthrunning to learn more. All right, let's move on to our topic for today, minimalism, footwear, barefoot running, and what happens to your body when you wear overly supportive shoes. This is a fascinating conversation with Stephen Sashin, the co-founder and CEO of Zero Shoes. Stephen is a master's all-American sprinter and one of the fastest sprinters over 50 in the United States. He's a former all-American gymnast, a professional stand-up comic, a cognitive psychology researcher, and he previously taught Tai Chi and Zen archery. Stephen has quite the background, which is probably needed for starting a successful company in one of the most competitive industries in the world footwear. We're going to be talking about the beginnings of zero shoes, the benefits of minimalism, how to transition. Plus, we'll feature a whole host of questions from members of Team Strength Running, our coaching program. If you'd like to impact future podcast episodes, you can learn more about the team at strengthrunning.com join. Now, before we start, I do want to be upfront that I'm a bit more cautious about introducing very minimalist shoes into a runner's training program. It must be gradual. We have to methodically introduce higher stress loads, and wearing minimalist shoes is not necessarily the final destination. The final destination is whatever goal you'd like to achieve. 
So while Stephen and I are mostly in agreement on these issues, he's a little bit more enthusiastic, which you can probably expect from the founder of a minimalist shoe company. Nevertheless, I had a blast talking with Stephen about the promises of minimalist footwear, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Stephen Sashin. Stephen, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let me start just by saying that uh, you have created some of the best YouTube ads that I might have ever seen <laughs> in my life. Oh, that's very kind of you. Probably one of the three that I've actually watched uh, to the to the end. And, and I found myself going through the entire thing and just watching it like it was just a great piece of content. First, I have to tell you, say thanks again. And I have to tell you, if you look at the comments, <clears throat> you'll see two, two kinds of comments, basically. One is exactly what you just said. I've never watched a YouTube ad before. I watched this one all the way, way to the end. And even better, they usually say, and then I bought your shoes. And then the other where people say, hey, you're a moron or things not quite that nice. Um, and those are very entertaining because they're just spouting out opinions. Um, and then I come back and go, well, which one of these facts are you arguing with? Because I'm happy to have that discussion. And of course, they never respond to, to that, that response. <laughs> yeah, that's partly what happens all the time on YouTube, isn't it? I probably would recommend not spending <laughs> yeah. too much time there in the comments. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, look, one thing I learned long ago, I, I, I don't think I've Googled myself in over 10 years because I learned that mistake way back when. Yikes. Yeah, you don't want to do that either. Bad idea. Well, Stephen, you've done something really interesting. Um, you started a, a barefoot running shoe company uh, back in, I believe it was 2013. Is that right? Oh, no, it was crazier than that. We were a barefoot running sandal kit company that started at the end of 2009. And we didn't have our first closed toed shoe until 2016. So we were and, and you know, and we frankly, if I mean, it started out as focusing on running because that's where I came into the picture. But very quickly, we saw that we were something much more than that. I mean, I think literally within the first <clears throat> few months, my wife and I are walking down the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder and a packet in our in our sandals, which we you know made ourselves. It was a DIY project. And a pack of teenage girls ran up to us and went, oh, those things are sick. How do you get those? And I turned to my wife and went, hey, we're billionaires, So, um, which has not come to pass by any stretch of the imagination. But we knew from that and we also knew from very early on, like the person who was interested in barefoot running in the family would buy one of our DIY kits. And then a week later, we see an order for the rest of the family who were not runners, who knew nothing about the whole barefoot thing or minimalism. They just saw something that they thought was cool and comfortable. And so we've expanded, you know, way beyond, uh, I don't, we don't even really use the term barefoot because it's so misrepresented and it has so much baggage attached to it. Um, we, we tend to talk about natural movement cause that's what this is really all about. And, and yeah, now we're, we're, we have a whole line of casual and performance shoes, boots and sandals, but enough about me. Well, I think it's a really interesting history. And, you know, 2009 was when I first started getting interested in, you know, the structure of shoes and, mm. and really being more intentional with what I was putting on my feet. Uh, I was probably like many other runners, you know, I read born to run and then immediately was, you know, interested in, in barefoot running and, you know, a couple other aspects of minimalism. Um, and I'm glad that you have a, a different term for, you know, quote unquote, barefoot shoes, because I think that 
you know, it, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? If you're wearing shoes, you can't be bare. Yeah, it's it's one of those things people yeah, people say that all the time. And one of the problems um, from my end as a as a the marketing person for a footwear company is that you have to use the language that people use because that's what they're searching for. That's what they're talking about. So the you know, barefoot shoes is really just shorthand for footwear that gives you the closest thing to a barefoot experience you can get. And the challenge with that really is there are a lot of companies who misuse that and they call their shoes barefoot when they have big, thick midsoles, when they elevate the heel still, when they're too pointy and squeeze your toes together and they're not providing that benefit. And the company and the people that are doing that include, you know, multi-billion dollar footwear brands um, who were, who, what happened if you remember, or I don't know how much you were aware of, but in 2009, 2010, when Born to Run became popular, because it had been out for a while before that, uh, the first thing that the shoe companies did was started publishing articles. They were doing what's, I don't know if people know what native advertising is. It basically looks like an like uh, editorial, but it's really an ad. It's one, one version of native advertising. And I remember seeing one that was a whole, whole co- um, commentary about why you shouldn't run barefoot because you'll step on hypodermic needles and get Ebola and your kids won't get into college and your mortgage rates are going to go up and your cars are going to get worse gas mileage. I mean, it's you know utterly ridiculous. And I seem to be the only person who noticed a little thing in the corner that said sponsored by Brooks running. So that (laughs) was, um, yeah, what a shock. So that was the first, first, uh, um, sort of salvo that they came back with was, you know, the shoe companies were terrified. No one was ever going to buy a running shoe again. Then by the end of 2010, they were putting out shoes. They were referring to as barefoot or minimalist that were nothing of the sort. And they were making claims that their shoes gave the same benefits as being barefoot, which no, which was completely impossible. So they basically poisoned the well uh, because they were terrified of what it meant. And to, to cut to the chase, I've had the CEOs of three – actually, CEOs of $2 billion-plus footwear brands and a senior vice president of a third say to someone that I know – this whole natural movement idea and what Zero Shoes is doing is legit. We just can't do it because it would be admitting that everything we've said for the last 50 years is bullshit. Yikes. I'm sure that's uh, kind of a it, fascinating thing to hear uh, a, a shoe executive say because yeah. it, it really is kind of exposing the industry. Now, what aspect of you know a true minimalist natural movement type shoe, You know, what are the benefits when you actually get the shoe right? Well, let's start with um, where this whole thing sort of came from. And there's two angles to this. One is if you look at footwear prior to the late 60s, early 70s, that was all minimalist footwear. I mean, Dr. Irene Davis from Harvard said it best. We were on a, I was on a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine. And it was a guy from Brooks and a guy from Adidas and my friend Tony Post from Topo, who actually prior to that was uh, the CEO of Vibram when they were doing Five Fingers back in those early days. And Irene said, she had the last question. She said, look, in the 60s, we were running in thin-soled running shoes. We were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. We weren't seeing the number of injuries, the type of injuries, or the severity of, severity of injuries we're seeing now. So what problem were you guys trying to solve and why didn't it work? Dead silence. And um, I finally chime in and I said, look, the more you understand about feet and biomechanics um, and the more you look at the research on natural movement, you can't conclude anything other than the design of the modern athletic shoe is fundamentally wrong. To which the guy from Adidas said, yeah, but not everyone's going to switch to your shoes right away. <laughs> and I'm going, wow, that's the best you got. Um, so, you know, if you look at footwear, over the history of human footwear, the earliest known 
archaeological dig that found footwear. They found a, a sandal made out of sagebrush in uh, archaeological dig in Oregon. Looked a lot like one of our sandals, actually. And uh, that was 10,000 years ago. And so from 10,000 years ago to 50 years ago, 99.95% of human history that we know about where they made footwear, it was all minimalist. It was all just something to give you some protection and something to hold that protection on your foot, but it allowed your feet to move naturally. So that's part one. Part two um, is if we think about the Nike Free, that shoe was developed because Nike was working with the runners uh, on the Stanford track team and saw they were doing a lot of barefoot training, which almost every highly accomplished runner does. They do it because they say it's about building foot strength which it does. Um, research from Dr. Sarah Ridge at BYU showed that just walking in a truly minimalist shoe builds foot muscle strength as if you were the same way, uh, the same amount that doing an actual foot strengthening exercise program does. So, and then let's go back to the physiology part. You have a quarter of the bones and joints of your entire body in your feet and ankles, and you have more nerve endings in the soles of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. That suggests you're supposed to use those things at the bottom of your legs and what you use them for. They're supposed to bend and flex and move and feel. And we'll come back to that one because that's the important one. Um, and, and your toes are supposed to spread, not get squeezed together. And so that's all for balance and agility and mobility. Uh, and if you don't let your feet do that job, then that function tries unsuccessfully to move up to your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back and cause all sorts of problems. The feeling part is also really important because that's what tells your brain what's going on with your whole body. So your brain can tell the rest of your body what to do for balance and agility and mobility. So the design of a good natural movement shoe lets your toes spread and move and splay and relax, is low to the ground for balance and agility, doesn't elevate your heel because that messes with your posture, doesn't need toe spring because the sole is flexible. The sole lets your foot let all the, lets all those bones and joints move naturally um, and also gives you the protection that you want and the traction that you want and the ground feedback that your brain is looking for to be able to let you move efficiently. I think this is all really attractive from, you know, a coach's perspective, the way that I'm thinking about things. Um, I think it's also helpful to look at, you know, shoes in general as, you know, the things that they help you do. And you, you've talked a lot about what a natural movement oriented shoe can help you do. When you look at more conventional shoes, what are the things that those shoes don't allow you to do? You mean those things that we call foot coffins? Is that what you're referring foot to? Foot coffins. Yeah. yeah, there we go. So fo <laughs> foot coffins, are um, they do just that. So, you know, you it, one of the things I say to people uh, often, I, I start by saying, you know, do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they do at the beginning of the day? And almost universally, I've literally never heard anyone not say, uh, no, they don't. So one thing is they just aren't comfortable in the long term because they're not letting your feet do those little things, often micro motions that um, increase circulation, that can keep strength going. In fact, uh, backing up to the – well, here, adding arch support and, and a stiff sole immobilizes your foot. Now, think about what happens when you immobilize any joint. Imagine, you know, you break your arm, you put your arm in a cast. Miraculously, it doesn't come out stronger after eight weeks. So same thing happens to your foot in a shoe that doesn't let it move. There's research that recently came out. I, I don't have the name of the, the researchers who did it. I have the paper in my email, um, but I don't have the name at the top of my brain, so my apologies. But the gist is they put um, art support and orthotics in the shoes of healthy athletes and 
the opposite of what I mentioned before from Sarah Ridge's research happened. Within 10 to 12 weeks, they were seeing a massive decrease in strength and muscle mass in the foot. So you're not letting, if you're squeezing your toes together, you're not, think about doing a push-up. If you drop on the ground and do push-ups, you don't keep your fingers squeezed together. You spread them apart because that's better for balance and strength and force production. Same thing with your toes and with your feet. If you don't let your feet bend and flex, they're not, you're not actually using the arch that's built into your foot. There's three of them, but mostly, mostly the longitudinal arch, which is designed to create additional strength basically. An arch is a very stable, strong structure in architecture and in your body. Um, if you're elevating the heel, that's messing with your posture and moving your center of mass forward, which can be problematic. If you are, um, ironically, if you're, if you're raising the heel, you're also not using the biggest spring in your body, your Achilles tendon. You're not letting your Achilles do its job to store and return energy in a way that no cushioning actually can because the cushioning starts breaking down. And it also, you know, there's a, a phrase in, in the footwear industry called energy return, which is marketing bullshit for how bad does something suck? Because all foam, <laughs> how so? well, all foam sucks energy. So like here, here's the perfect example. I wish we had a video to show this, but I'm going to describe it. If you, um, so Adidas came out with a foam they call boost foam like four years ago, three and a half years ago. And the way they demonstrated how great it was, was they show someone dropping a steel ball, like a two pound steel ball onto concrete and the ball barely bounces onto the other company's foam, some EVA, and it bounces a couple times, not very much. Then on the boost foam and it bounces like six times. Um, well, then you look up a, a video from the Exploratorium, the kind of hands-on museum in San Francisco, where they took a piece of concrete, put a steel plate on top of the steel uh, of the concrete, and then above it, I don't know how far above it, is a plexiglass um, shelf, if you will, with a hole in it so you can drop the steel ball through that hole. Well, that steel ball bouncing off of a steel plate with concrete underneath it, the first bounce hits the plexiglass it's like one, like 99.5% returning of energy because the ball and the steel, the steel ball and the steel plate are elastic and elastic in this case doesn't mean you can stretch it. It means how quickly it comes back into the, the, the original shape. And then it bounces 249 more times. So if you want energy return, <laughs> you want steel on steel. Now the issue with the Adidas commercial, you are not a steel ball. You are not perfectly elastic. You are not merely falling at the rate of gravity and you're not landing on steel either. So the fact that a steel ball bounces a little better off of that foam that again starts breaking down the moment you start using it is complete hand waving. It's complete marketing. It's like, well, that seems great, but it is not. And in fact, there's a great video where they ask one of the engineers from, from Adi um, about energy return. And he goes, well, there's really no such thing as energy return. I mean, he confesses that it's a marketing term that they use to basically con you into believing that you need something that is demonstrably not valuable. And the reason that I say that is that if you think about the maximalist shoes, the idea, and it makes sense intuitively in your brain, like cushioning would be good because running has a lot of impact forces. So we want to cushion that. And then more cushioning would be better if it's better, especially if it's better cushioning. If you look at the history of modern athletic shoes, the only thing they've really done in the last 50 years is different kinds of cushioning. But all the research is very clear that that cushioning doesn't reduce impact forces and often increases impact forces because back to your brain trying to feel things, when your brain can't feel things, sometimes it will land harder 
to try to get some information about what's going on on the ground. So, um, so I think this is a super, super long answer to your question of what shoes don't let you do or what problems shoes create. The, the, the simplest thing I can say is, uh, this is going to be self-serving, but, and so my apologies, but just like read the reviews on our website from the number of people who talk about things like, you know, I'm on my feet all day and for the first time in my life, I'm feeling fine at the end of the day. Or I went to bed still wearing your shoes because I forgot I had them on because they were so lightweight and comfortable, not because they passed out drunk, although that probably happens sometimes too. Um, you know, it's, you, you don't hear those things from major shoe companies doing, you know, same old, same old. Yeah, for sure. And and full disclosure, you did send me a pair of shoes that, that I have been wearing myself and they're super comfortable. I'm enjoying them and, and I've gone on some walks with them and, and wore them around casually and they're very comfortable. You've certainly made the case for maybe wearing these more structured conventional shoes less, la- allowing our feet to move more naturally. Now, there has to be some drawbacks to a shoe with this little support, especially <laughs> if someone has been, you know, wearing more constrictive, supportive shoes yeah. for 30, 40 years. Do you offer any caveats about wearing zero drop shoes that that don't have as much support as others? The thing I like to do is I like to just point people back to their own experience and things like remember being a kid on a hot summer day and you run outside and you kick off your shoes and you feel the grass under your in between your toes or the sand under your feet or the water around your ankles and, and or just go watch little kids run um, when they're doing that first they have unbel- if they haven't been in shoes for very long or at all they have perfect form they're landing with their feet right underneath their center of mass they have a slight lean forward to you know help them move they they the one thing they have that's weird they have a look on their face that you don't see with most adult runners um what's it called um smiling uh, and (laughs) laughing and they do it for fun and then then when they're tired or they're done they stop and then they get back up and they start again when they're ready i mean it's just enjoyable and there's no reason it can't be like that so if you're okay being barefoot there's no reason you would not be okay in a shoe that's simulating being barefoot, but just adding a little protection. If you haven't done that, the only caveat is that it might take you a little bit of time to adjust your gait to something more natural. Because, um, so I was in the lab with Dr. Bill Sands, who used to be the head of biomechanics and engineering for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And one of the things I saw in his lab was he would uh, put you on a treadmill. It was like a five foot wide, 10 foot long treadmill. And you're in a mission impossible harness in case you, you know, gonna, uh, so you don't face plant, which is super fun to hover above the treadmill. Um, and, uh, he'd, he'd put you in every different shoe that you like to wear and film you from the back and from the side at 500 frames a second. Because he said, you don't get enough information at anything under 250 frames a second, which is actually uh, true. I saw that in a couple of places where you'd see, uh, for me, my right foot was everting, pointing out just slightly, but it only happened in the last like two frames at 500 frames a second. If you're filming at anything smaller than 250, you would have missed that. And it was pointing to a, a problem I had with my right hamstring. But anyway, so every shoe makes you move differently. And so if you're okay being barefoot, great. If you're not used to that, It'll take a little bit of adjustment to get used to that natural movement. And the, what I like to say is it's not about the footwear. It's about the form. And it's just different footwear, back to Bill Sands, informs the form. Different shoes affect each person differently. So we'd see people in his lab. Every different shoe they wore would change their gait, sometimes in, in subtle ways, sometimes in big ways. And, and the most interesting thing is people didn't know that was happening. They were not aware of it at all. 
So if you're used to certain movement patterns and you're trying to change, you may experience some things like some muscle soreness as you overuse certain things while you get used to not having to overuse them. So many people think that um, calf soreness or Achilles soreness is just part of the adaption process to a, a natural movement shoe. But calf and Achilles soreness is totally optional. If you start slowly enough and pay attention to things like trying, instead of trying to, so there's this whole idea and um, uh, some running coaches talk about toe off, which is the idea that as your foot is coming off the ground, you're supposed to aggressively point your toes, plantar flex your foot, which has no value whatsoever. And also if you're in a stiffer shoe, you tend to do a little bit of that uh, because the shoe isn't letting your foot do that naturally. And so you're kind of kind of faking it. Well, if you do that in a more minimalist shoe, uh, that can create some calf soreness, but it's optional. Instead of doing trying to toe off, you want to get your foot off the ground by thinking about lifting your foot off the ground by flexing your hip. The image that I use is um, if you imagine stepping on a bee, you don't push harder to get off the bee because that would drive the stinger into your foot more. You, you reflexively lift your foot off the ground and uh, by flexing your hip. And so you want to have that idea by getting of that's how you get your foot off the ground and that would reduce the amount of calf loading or calf uh concentric calf um strain that you would have the other one is eccentric calf strain and what that means is that you're slowing your body down by it by if you do something some people have, have have heard that when you're in a barefoot shoe a minimalist shoe a natural movement shoe or running barefoot you're supposed to land on the ball of your foot and what i saw someone do for the first time uh back in 2010 was they were overstriding. They're landing with their foot far in front of their center of mass, far in front of their body, and then pointing their toes in order to land on the ball of their foot. And I immediately stopped this person. I was running with, with as a woman running with her. I went, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm supposed to land on the ball of my foot. I said, not because you point your toes, but because you're getting your foot underneath your body. And there's no way to land any other way, frankly, um, when you're getting your foot really underneath you. So, but if you do overstride and um, plantar flex and point your toes, you're going to be trying to decelerate by using your calf and your Achilles. And that will cause excessive strain as well. Because eccentric loading, that, that thing where you have, um, where you're trying to, to, you're applying force as a muscle is lengthening, that causes muscle soreness more than concentric loading. So like if all you do is bicep curls where you curl the weight up and then drop it, You'll, it's very hard to get sore, but if all you do is eccentric curls where you start already curled and lower the weight under, under tension, that will make you uh, super, super sore. So those are the kind of two biggies. Actually, sorry, there's one more. Um, there's doing too much too soon. Some, for some people, when they switch to something that allows their feet to bend and flex and move and feel and is super lightweight, it's so enjoyable. It's so much fun that they go out and do too much. And while they're doing too much, that means they get tired and then kind of revert to having form problems or not being able to feel what's going on with their feet as much. And then they'll, you know, cause a, again, usually typically just muscle soreness. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the too much too soon. Cause you know, as a coach, I'm thinking about the person who might be training for a race or these days, maybe a virtual race yeah. or a time trial. And, you know, they're maybe running 40 miles a week. They're doing a 12 mile long run. They're um, doing a workout once a week. 
how would you advise a runner like this who's interested in wearing more minimalist shoes to work that into their program? Because, you know, I think a lot about training load, right? Where, you know, even if you get your form right, uh, which again, that's kind of a tall ask for someone who's never, you know, worn shoes like this, you know, even if you do get your, your form right, you are still producing or experiencing a lot more stress. And Not really. No, see, this is, this is the irony. You're actually um, experiencing less stress because when you're, when you're landing, when you're wearing a shoe like the one we're talking about, basically doing it wrong hurts, doing it right feels good. And what feels good means is that you're, again, landing with your foot as close to your center of mass as possible. You're not overstriding. You're not reaching out with your foot. And when you do that, you end up using your muscles and ligaments and tendons as the natural springs and shock absorbers they're meant to be. Research from Daniel Lieberman at Harvard and also from Irene Davis at Harvard and a number of others shows that when you take off your padded, elevated heel, motion-controlled, arch-supporting shoes, you're actually applying sometimes less force into the ground. Sometimes what you're doing is just eliminating what's referred to as an impact transient force spike. So basically there's just this initial impact and then the regular force that apply, comes after that. And a lot of the research suggests that it's that initial impact, which is really like the breaking force that you get when you're landing with your foot in front of you that's, that is potentially causing the real problem. But the gist is you're getting less force through your joints when you are running with proper form, running barefoot or in something truly minimalist. Research from Dr. Irene Sacco in Brazil, she put minimalist footwear, like really simple, minimalist, cheap minimalist footwear on the feet of elderly women um, and just said, we just wear these. Gave them no other instruction. Didn't tell them to transition. Didn't just said wear these. Now, granted, they were just walking around. But here's the kicker: many of them had a reduction or elimination of knee osteoarthritis, and this was determined by X-rays, by imaging, not just you know, hey, it feels better, which is meaningless, but like real data showing that knee osteoarthritis went away. Now, this can sound surprising, but there's other research that shows. In animal studies, if you want to give an animal arthritis, you just keep hitting their heel with their leg straight. And that force going through their heel goes right into their knee and leads to arthritis. And if you want to make it go away, you just stop doing that. <laughs> so it's um, so that's part one, is that you're actually, that the, the loading forces and the overall forces are not greater uh, or even the same often when you switch to something like this. Again, after you've made the transition and gotten used to it. Another point I want to make, just to give you a... Um, uh, a goal, if you will. We had a guy working for us, our first customer service representative, this guy named Bill. Bill lived in Denver. We were in Boulder. Bill would run the two miles from his house to the Denver bus station, then take the bus to Boulder and run the two miles from the bus station to our office. And then he would run back. So that's eight miles. Then he would take his dog for a walk run and do another five miles. So that's 13 miles every day, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, he would do his long runs and he would do 20 mile runs on the weekends. So he's doing 120, 140, sometimes 160 mile weeks. Oh, and I didn't mention he was 65 years old. So um, that's not the kind of thing that you can do if you're putting a whole lot of force. And he did this for years. It wasn't just like one week. So that's just to put it out there. You know, it's really, really possible to do this now. The transition, to answer your direct question, you actually had the right uh, answer with your question. How do you work into it? And you work into it. You start really, really, really small. Like I recommend a 20-second run. 
And then you see how you feel the next day. What I say is if you're not having fun, do something different till you are. If you feel like you've hurt something, rest and do something different till you can do that 20 seconds and your only urge is to do more. And then just add 10 more seconds. And then if you're going to do more mileage afterwards, you know, knock yourself out. Do more mileage afterwards and whatever you're going to do. But then as you're basically able to get maybe one day a week and you're whatever your mileage is for that day and you're able to do that in something minimalist, then slowly start adding more days in the week. Um, and there's no fixed answer for this. It really, the real advantage or one of the real advantages to using your feet naturally is you become your own coach because you're getting and hearing metaphorically and paying attention to the feedback from the ground that you're getting in your body and you start naturally making adjustments to make it different. Again, doing it wrong hurts. Doing it right feels good. I can, I can literally spot a barefoot runner from half a mile away because they have that childlike look on their face. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, something I've always talked about the the joy of running barefoot strides on a synthetic turf infield. There's just no better feeling. No, no, no. I, I'll give you one better. Go find a freshly painted white line on the side of a road. It's amazing. Super, super smooth and just has this tiny amount of give. I mean, barely like a fraction of a millimeter. Um, but oh my, oh my, that's the best thing in the world. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value in in using a lot of these different strategies. You know, you don't always have to wear natural movement shoes. No. You can take them off and do barefoot Absolutely. strides sometimes. And, you know, especially if you're someone who's maybe, um, you know, you've been wearing conventional shoes for decades, it, it's a good thing to start very, very gradually and consider, you know, these totally. minimalist shoes as a, a training tool, something that you can use to reinforce good form, to build strength in your feet and your lower legs. So I think it's a really valuable opportunity for runners uh, when used strategically. Well, and look, if, if you're iffy about even that, just use them for recovery. Just, just wear them to let your feet have active recovery. So your feet are moving and you're keeping, keeping your muscles and ligaments and tendons moving. You're keeping the circulation going. So, I, you know, when someone says, well, I'm only going to run in a pair of hocus, like knock yourself out. When you take them off at the end of a race and your feet feel like crap, then put on one of our shoes or our sandals so you can have some active recovery. Now, my joke or my question is, you know, why do you need to recover? We have, um, uh, and that's something people don't tend to ask. They just think that, well, I just, you know, really stressed, stressed out my feet. So clearly I need to recover. And I like to tell the story of a, a couple that um, reached out to me. They were, they're an ultra marathoning couple and they were wearing our super, super thin sandals. I mean, four millimeters of rubber, some string to hold on your foot. That was our first product. And they ran a seven day, 256 K stage race across Madagascar. And at the end of this race, Everybody else, they were basically in the first aid tent because they had broken off toenails or their toenails got blackened or their feet, had just the skin had peeled off the bottom of their feet because they were running through water. And then they had wet socks and shoes as they kept running over the desert. And this couple um, that I'm referring to, after the race was done, they're like, anybody else want to go for a 10 or 15K today? And people looked at them like they were crazy. <laughs> I probably would have too. <laughs> Now, uh, Stephen, I have a bunch of questions for you that came from our team strength running uh, coaching program. We have a bunch of runners in there who are interested in minimalism and and specifically uh, the Zero Shoe Company. So, uh, Lori wants to know, you know, are these types of shoes for people who pronate, or or is, <laughs> do you have extra guidance for these folks? With, um, with the caveat that you know some pronation is normal. 
Well, you just nailed it. Not some pronation is normal. Pronation is normal. Um, there is no evidence, and let me be really clear about this, 100% zero evidence that pronation has ever caused a problem. Now, that said, um, there is a form of hyperpronation where if you have a shoe with a flared sole, when your foot contacts the ground, it's contacting the, the edge of the sole, which is, can be as far as an inch away from where your foot would contact the ground, like further out from where your foot would contact the ground. And if the sole is stiff laterally, it can force your foot to hit the ground too fast, and that can be problematic and lead to excessive pronation. So that can be problematic, but it's not the pronation. It's the excessive force because of the flared sole that's causing a problem. There's a guy, there's a, a footwear researcher um, with whom I have many disagreements, but he's an interesting guy named Simon Bartold. And Simon used to be all about doing motion control and eliminating pronation. And he changed his tune and you ask him why. He says, because the research doesn't bear out that pronation is a problem. So that's thing one. Thing two, when you're wearing a shoe that allows you to, to run naturally, which again means getting your foot, landing with your foot underneath your body more, where you're not going to be heel striking. And by the way, the reason that they came up with this idea of pronation control is when you heel strike, when you land with your foot out in front of you on your heel, your heel's a ball. A ball is unstable. You have no way of correcting anything going on with your foot when you're on a ball and then the rest of your foot finally hits the ground. If you're landing midfoot or forefoot, um, you're actually preloading the muscles, ligaments, and tendons in your foot and ankle. And pronation typically doesn't happen or the amount that does happen is part of the natural spring mechanism of your lower extremities. But it's just not, it's A, not a problem really. In, it's a, it's a made up thing that footwear companies and orthotic companies came up with to sell you product. Yeah, I will certainly be in agreement there. I think <laughs> the more structured motion control shoe that you wear, the more you'll probably pronate because it yeah. it it actually allows for poorer types of movement. You know, you can really develop some bad habits when you're you're wearing shoes that allow you to move in all these ways that your body's not really designed to. You know, and and I yeah. think it was really um, uh, instructive the way that you said, you know, if you're wearing something with a big heel, if it has that flared heel, you're going to be landing an inch away from where your heel or, you know, your midfoot would normally be landing because the shoe allows that. And so I think this is a, is a good way to really reinforce the idea that these kinds of shoes and, and some barefoot running as well, you know, they better reinforce the way that you should be running naturally, the way that your body was really designed to move. And so uh, I think that's valuable. It's totally true. It's funny when I'm on the track and um, we haven't talked about this and not that we should have, but just for the sake of context. So I'm a master's all American sprinter. I'm 58 and change. And I'm one of the, I don't know, 15 or 20 fastest guys in the country. And um, when I'm on the track, I often see some runners who really have great form and they're running in regular, you know, motion control shoes. And it's so funny, they're not using any of the the motion control stuff in their shoe. They're landing on their midfoot and they're, I mean, sometimes, you know, their heel barely touches the ground, uh, mostly because the heel's so built up. Um, similarly, like what the, the, the Nike shoes that Elliot Kipchoge and his team ran the sub two hour marathon in, Nike says, you know, we built this curved outsole to have you transition from heel to toe. But you look at those runners for at least for the first half of their race and their heels never touch the ground. So, and there's a guy who's actually making a living taking those Nike shoes and cutting the heels out of them. <laughs> that, that is a, an interesting subculture of, of shoe <laughs> yeah. right there. Quite, quite. 
So, uh, Stephen, George wants to know what makes Zero Shoes unique compared to other Zero Drop shoes that are available on the market today? I love that you have people who ask really smart questions. So just because something is zero drop, which for people who don't know means the heel is at the same height as the ball of the foot. Um, and by saying it that way, I'm already kind of begging the question of what the problem is. You can have something that's five inches off the ground and is zero drop. Stilts are zero drop. Um, uh, what are they called? Um, drywall stilts are zero drop. Uh, so just because something's zero drop, if there's a bunch of padding underneath it, you're still going to have that issue where you're not getting any feedback into your feet and therefore your brain. Um, and the soles can be stiffer because there's some hokas that were zero drop, but they the soles were stiffer and thicker. So zero drop is not the thing. So what makes us different than other minimalist shoes is that we, um, egads, where to begin? So there are some shoes that are sold as minimalist that still have pointy toes that still have arch support that are tight around the midfoot that are not wide enough um, that again are high off the ground that aren't flexible enough um, one of the big things for us is we we developed our own rubber we call it feel true rubber and our outsoles have a 5,000 mile sole warranty we made them to be super durable and also um, we try to make things affordable and people sometimes say well there's less material why is it costing more and it's like well we're using better materials that cost more and we're not just making cheap stuff where we're making you know 10 million pairs of something and have the economy of scale of owning our own factory and various other things we're still a small company relatively speaking. So um, those are kind of the biggies. Oh, and one other is that we have a complete line of casual and performance shoes, boots, and sandals, which we're the only company that does that. Yeah. And I think I'll just jump in here and talk about how, you know, the difference between a zero drop shoe and a true minimalist shoe is that, you know, zero drop is but one feature of a minimalist shoe. Whereas a true minimalist shoe will not only be zero drop, but the stack height or overall height of the shoe off the ground is going to be really low because it should mimic how you would be standing without any shoes on. And there shouldn't be any uh, arch support. There shouldn't be a lot of you know constrictive material in the upper. Uh, the toe box should be very wide and allow your, your toes not to be squished at all and really splay out there. So there's a lot of different things um, that should happen in a shoe to make it a true minimalist shoe. A lot of the shoes, you know, like um, Hoka, I think is a great example where, you know, they have some zero drop shoes, but they're also, you know, substantially higher off the ground than a more conventional shoe. And so that I think is a unique hybrid type of shoe that I wouldn't really classify as minimalist. No, no, no. And in fact, um, back to Irene Davis, who has done more research on natural movement footwear than anybody else. Uh, she classifies minimalist into what she calls minimalist and partial minimalist. And I said, I think you're just being politically correct. And if you weren't, you'd be calling it true minimalist and fake minimalist. And she didn't disagree with me. And um, the, I, I'll just be straight out the, the list of shoes on her minimalist category. And I'm not saying there aren't others, but in her category, the last time she I saw her update it was zero shoes. Vivo Barefoot out of the UK, um, Five Fingers, and not all of them, frankly. And there was an Innovate shoe that is no longer being made that was on her list. And then a lot of the other ones um, are products that, again, they call themselves minimalist, and they aren't because of many of the characteristics that you just described. Right. And I'll say, you know, I'm someone who enjoys the Nike Free shoe, but I will never really call it a minimalist shoe because... You know, it has a fairly substantial heel toe drop. There's arch support. 
um, you know, the, the stack height is not super close to the ground. So while I like them and they kind of work for me for a lot of different things, you know, they're not minimalist shoes. So we shouldn't, we should be really clear on what a minimalist shoe actually is. It was the first shoe, because I remember getting those in like 2006 and they felt miraculous because the sole articulated more. It wasn't a stiff sole. And so you could feel more. And that was really cool. Um, that shoe was actually developed because Nike was looking at the Stanford running team and the barefoot running that they did. And they they say that they were trying to emulate what was happening with barefoot running. Well, I know someone who was on that project and um, he was a developer at Nike for about 30 years. And he said, I wrote a treatise on how to make a shoe that works the way human and feet work. There was 15 points on that and Nike did one and a half of them and they'll probably never do any more. Oh, that's interesting to know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nike is obviously in the business of selling shoes. So if they convince the public that yes, they are. their shoes are, are not, you know, the way that the human foot should be moving, they might be in big trouble. What, do you want to hear a crazy thing about Nike and shoes uh, that's come out recently? Yes. Okay. I know that was a setup. That was horrible. <laughs> of course. Um, I'm going to say yes, so, Stephen. I know. I know. As soon as I started saying it, I went, oh, this is, this is really <laughs> bad. So about a year ago, um, in fact, it was a year ago that uh, a, year, a year and a couple weeks ago, I got an email from someone because I was doing a little bit of research. Nike put out the React Infinity Run and they the way they advertised it was designed to reduce injury, which is, of course, kind of funny because no shoe is designed to increase injury, but let's leave that as it, as it is. And um, they, they got a lot of press saying that this new shoe reduced injuries by 52%. And I wanted to see the actual data. And so I found the people who did the research. Now, again, Nike said it was an independent study. It was designed by Nike. It was paid for by Nike, but it was done independently. Do with that what you will. I'm not saying that makes it bad or worse, but just, you know, full disclosure. And um, what it showed was, in fact, it was true. Compared to Nike's best-selling motion-controlled, padded, elevated heel, arch-supporting running shoe, um, the React Infinity Run had had 52% fewer injuries in the 226 runners in the study during a 12-week period, and an injury was defined as something that kept you out of three running sessions in a row, at least three running sessions in a row. Well, here's what they didn't tell you in that. Um, percentages can be deceiving. So what um, the best-selling motion-controlled shoe did was injured over 30% of the runners during the 12-week study. The new shoe, the React Infinity Run, only injured about 14.5%. Now, that means almost one out of three got injured in the best-selling shoe, and about one out of seven got injured in the other shoe. Now, talking about that in terms of injury reduction is a little misleading because almost 45% of the people in the study got injured. Almost half of the people in the study got injured in less than 12 weeks. And with that one out of three versus one out of seven, let me reframe it. I want to buy you dinner every night this week and you have a choice between two restaurants, one where you'll get food poisoning once and one where you'll get it twice. Which would you prefer? Oh, I don't know. Is this a real question? Can we, not go to <laughs> you know, if you want to put me to it, I think I'll that would be dinner let's, let's, in my, my place. How's that? Yeah. Let's find a restaurant that guarantees you'll get food poisoning. One of those, and then we'll go for it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a, again, it's an amazing bit of marketing, uh, and and shows the power of their PR team that not one reporter uh, described what I just laid out for you. Very interesting. I feel like I'm getting the inside scoop on on different yeah. shoe company drama right now. I appreciate behind, that. behind the scenes. <laughs> well, we have two more questions. Uh, these okay. should be pretty quick ones. Uh, can can you get zero shoes in either Europe or the UK? Yes. Uh, we have a UK dealer who is, has a, um, the website zeroshoes.com. 
.com or .co.uk, .co.uk. And then in Europe, um, we are not doing any direct-to-consumer sales ourselves yet, but there are a bunch of stores that are carrying our products. In fact, interestingly, in Europe, um, they're selling, they're growing faster than they are in the U.S. because European, pardon me, I got the hiccups, Europeans actually have a longer history of natural movement and understanding the value of natural movement than we have in America. This whole argument about whether natural movement is better for you or not just never really happened there in a way that it happened here. So if you go to our website, zeroshoes.com, um, the upper right-hand corner, there's a store locator, and you can just search for places there and just call and see if they if they have what you want to try on. Um, and we are expanding quite a bit in both domestically and, um, uh, and in Europe uh, over the next couple of months. I mean, retailers are just starting to get the inventory for 2021 within the next mm, four to eight weeks. Very cool. And I know George is uh, one of our Team Strength Running members who lives in the UK. So maybe he can oh, cool. check out the UK version of your site. Um, well, it's not ours. It's an independent dealer, but okay. not same idea. All right. Our last question comes from a real fan. This is from Adrian, who's on his third pair of Zero Shoes. He said he can't <laughs> imagine running without them now. Uh, he wants to know what you recommend for running on ice. He also said he'd love it if you made a pair of shoes with studs in them. Well, we um, there. This is a really interesting question, actually. So, the thing about any slippery surface, imagine standing on ice and just standing, and then lifting up your right foot and putting it down, and lifting up and putting it down, and lifting up and putting it down. You're not going to slip, right? Well. The same idea. What makes slipperiness happen is a combination of materials, but the thing that's a bigger factor is just the the angle of force, the vector of force. If again you're landing with your foot out in front of your body, um, you're putting you're putting force in that direction in a way that is going to be creating excessive horizontal force and on a slippery surface, there's literally nothing you can do about that. Um, now, if you're there's a great video. I I, I know I posted it on our website. Like if you go to our blog, zeroshoes.com slash blog, I know I put it there too. There are a couple of videos showing people running on ice. One is a pose method runner. And the whole idea behind pose method, I'm not endorsing it or not endorsing it, but the idea is really about, you know, landing with your foot really just kind of up and down. And there's another video um, showing that full speed running is really more like bouncing up and down vertically than applying horizontal force. And the way they show it is a guy accelerates to full speed on a, he's got an ice rink and they've got some carpeting laid out and he accelerates to full speed on the carpet and then runs for, I don't know, five or six strides uh, on the ice without any change in speed or any slippage. And so that's form is the most important thing that applies for slipping on any surface in terms of spikes. We're not necessarily, I don't know that we're going to make something that has it, but we sell a product called, oh man, ice walkers. I believe um, that's on our website. That is the best pair of um, kind of spiky things that I've seen that you can add to your feet. It's a thick felt foot pad, if you will, or, or yeah, thick felt pad with spikes of different lengths that you can get built into it with a strapping system that's actually a lot like a, one of our sandal strapping systems that re holds really, really securely um, and is better than anything I've ever seen, which is why we're happy to be selling that on our website. Very cool. Stephen, this was really interesting. Uh, thanks for coming on and, and talking more about feet and shoes and movement and the shoe industry as a whole. I, I definitely learned a lot. I really enjoyed this. Is, is there anything that uh, we may not have talked about that you would like our listeners to know about minimalism, about transitioning to more, um, uh, or shall I say, less supportive shoes? 
The biggest thing I can think of, there's two, two things that come to mind. And both of these come from my wife and co-founder, um, the brilliant uh, Lena Phoenix. And one is, you know, she says just about shoes in general. She's, look, there's enough shoe companies in the world. There's no need to have another one unless what you're doing changes people's lives. And I'm not being glib when I say that we're doing that because we literally have thousands and thousands of emails and reviews and phone calls and testimonials that we get from people who use that phrase. And it's not that because we're doing something, it's because we're getting out of the way to let your body do what bodies naturally do. There's a reason, you know, you, you mentioned Born to Run at the beginning of this call. There's one of the reasons the Tarumara Indians run enjoyably and healthily more mileage than most people would ever do you know, that they could think of doing into their 60s and 70s, et cetera, is because they're letting their bodies do what's natural. And, you know, you've got this amazing set of kind of machinery that's built to run. I mean, born to run is, is a realistic phrase. We're wired to do this and to be able to do it enjoyably. And if you're not having fun again, do something different. So you are the second thought is again, from Lena is what we're doing is like something I mentioned before, actually is letting you learn to be your own coach, learning to listen to yourself and make those changes to your gait or to your training or to whatever else you're doing because you're paying attention to what's going on and not trying to override that because of some idea you have about what should be happening is I would argue one of the most valuable skills that you could possibly develop because every day you're a little bit different. And if you try to take your square peg and push it into a round hole, that can be problematic if the round hole, of course, is not bigger than the square peg because that works. So, um, so, you know, we're here about helping people learn to what we say, live life feet first. And the reason for it is that it's not only fun, but it's good for you. I mean, the real thing that we say we're doing is helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice, just the way we currently think of natural food. And again, the most important part of that is, um, let fun be your guide. Well put, Stephen. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your expertise. Uh, if folks want to check out your company, your shoes, your products, uh, zeroshoes.com. Is that the URL? It is. And that's xeroshoes.com. But if your computer autocorrects that to zero, that's still going to get to us. And then we're at zero shoes or slash, slash zero shoes on all your favorite social channels. Awesome. Thank you, Stephen. Pleasure. Thank you. And that, my friends, is my conversation with Stephen Sashin. Check them out at zeroshoes.com, and if you try them out, let me know how you like them. I'm currently wearing the HFS Road Shoe, and I'm loving it for casual wear. And don't forget that you can also get the opportunity to submit questions for podcast guests if you're on Team Strength Running. Head on over to strengthrunning.com join to learn more. I also want to thank today's sponsor, SteadyMD. They're like a personal concierge doctor for endurance runners helping with nutrition, recovery, and injury issues that a regular PCP usually can't tackle. If you've ever seen a doctor or a physical therapist who doesn't have any experience with runners, then you know how valuable it is to hard-charging athletes. Having a doctor who gets you, who understands your training and your running goals, is priceless. And with 24-7 access and a doctor who's also a sub-3 marathoner, you know you're getting great runner-specific service. Go to SteadyMD.com slash strengthrunning to see if they have any spots left and check out all the benefits of working with a doctor who's also a runner. That's SteadyMD.com slash strengthrunning to see all the details. 
Thanks for listening to the Strength Running Podcast, everyone. I do what I do because of you. Thank you for being part of this community and we'll be in touch soon.